welcome to episode 157 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And we're back with more Static Shock this week. A couple uh, good crossover episodes. We got some Out of Africa with the uh, the return of Anansi the Spider. And we got, of course, a great episode with Green Lantern. Good stuff to get to. Uh, but first, a little bit of news. We have a lot of news, I feel like. I feel like we, we finally hit our news stride. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the industry is reopening and there's actual shit to talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess let's start out with uh, we have actual Batman news, which we haven't had in quite a long time. We do. This is in the the earliest of stages, but it's been announced that uh, on HBO Max, there is going to be a spinoff of the uh, yet to be finished slash released The Batman, Matt Reeves film. Um, and it's going to be the uh, the writer from Boardwalk Empire, Terrence Winter, is going to be like showrunning the thing. And it's going to be a possibly a prequel but regardless, it's going to be set in the world of Gotham as established in Matt Reeves' film, focusing on Jeffrey Wright's Commissioner Gordon, which this all sounds great. This all just sounds like Gotham. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what they could do, which I think would be a nice exploration, is give us year one from Gordon's perspective. Oh, that could be cool. So you're not going pre-Batman because then that's dumb. Yeah, because uh, you, you don't pre need Batman. to see all the kid villains. This isn't fucking Baby Looney Tunes. What am I saying? Baby Looney Tunes is a classic. Of course it was. Um, I mean, actually, yeah, I like that idea. I think it's the only way to do this and make it make sense. Yeah, you have it where it's the the police perspective on the early days of Batman. Yeah, because like that would that must be crazy. Yeah, actually, because that would that would allow them to sort of write around the absence of Batman while still making him a central figure. Cause I feel like that's the problem with every single Batman live action show, save the sixties one is that they have to write around the fact that Batman's not there. Yeah. And in the year one, we already have a good foundation for, for Gordon. You know, he just moved to Gotham. He's trying to get rid of corruption inside the police department. Yeah. Everyone kind of hates him for it. You know, you can have him when he, like, first teams up with Bullock. Mm-hmm. And Bullock is just this, like, pompous asshole. I mean, now we're definitely back into Gotham territory. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think that would make sense. And, like, I think that's a good way to have maybe, like, a brief cameo appearance. Because I feel like that's ultimately what's going to come down to is, like, to what degree are they able and willing to try and get Robert Pattinson in as, like, in a cameo appearance? Yeah, I mean, you can... Honestly, just do it Supergirl style, where like you don't see him in the suit, but it's it's kind of um, Gordon's first case, and you just see Batman in like his shirt wrapped around his head, like helping people out of a fire. Mm-hmm. Is his shirt wrapped around his head? Yeah, you can. Make <laughs> Is that, that what the, the early Batman costume was? No, but I mean, not like a balaclava, but he just like pulled his shirt up over his face. Yeah. It's it's the poor man's mask. <laughs> he's just trying to show off all that work he's been doing to get in shape. That's ultimately what it came down to. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a 25-year-old Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I mean, except for the fact that Robert Pattinson is mid-30s now at this point. That's fine. Yeah. I No, I think you're right. I think that's like the only way to do it because otherwise it's just going to be a rehash of Gotham. I mean, I, 
I'm excited but, for I mean, that but movie. But at the same time, Gotham was unfortunately a very successful series. Yeah, bafflingly so. But and I with th- HBO Max dropping as much money as they did on Big Bang, you know they're just there chasing, yeah, you know, chasing bandwagons. It it definitely feels like this was not an organic decision that came from like the creatives of the movie being like, Hey, like maybe there's an interesting story to be told here. This was definitely like, Oh, um, we are desperate for content. Can you please give us anything to work with? Oh, so uh, some, some other news I just remembered, um, that's parallel to this. Um, while we are getting that going to HBO max, it was announced this week that star girl for season two is moving uh, from DCU to WB, uh, CW. Yeah, CW. <laughs> yeah, <it's>... no, no, no. <laughs> WB. <laughs> They're bringing it back. They're bringing it back. Finally, is what we've always been demanding. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I mean, I you've been watching the show. It feels like it would be totally at home on the CW. Absolutely. Honestly, it it might be too young for CW. Oh, the characters because there... other characters are high schoolers. But are they like actual high school age high schoolers versus like thirty five year old high schoolers in the typical? Yeah, they're, they're closer. I would say they're like like eighteen to twenty four range high schoolers. Oh well, that's perfectly reasonable to be playing like thirteen year olds. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, another big hit to DCU. At, at this point, I care about two things off of D. Well, okay, three things. Off of the DCU. One is uh, finding a home for all the DCAU content, mm-hmm. which I imagine will probably just be going on HBO Max. Um, I care about the continuation of the Harley Quinn animated series, which I continue to love. I think it's the best thing they've put out, um, and I really hope that we get more of it. And again, that'll probably end up on HBO Max. And yeah. then the last thing I care about is their comics library. Like, I still maintain that's the best thing about that site because their movie selection is pretty abysmal, actually. I was looking at it the other day, and there's almost nothing. It seems like everything they had on there, they've subsequently pulled. Yeah, which is crazy because I remember when it first launched, and we praised it for having everything. Yeah, I mean, it didn't have, like, the Dark Knight trilogy, which was kind of be expected because that's still a huge, you know, sale item for Warner Brothers. But it had basically everything else, and it seems like all those are gone. There's very few of the animated movies anymore. Um, it still has most of the cartoons and like old shows, I think, which is good. But I mean, it has, I'm pretty sure it has all comics except for stuff published within the last year. Um, and I've actually been catching up on some comics, which I'll probably do as a plug once I've finished them. Um, but like, it's great for that. Like the, the interface isn't spectacular. Um, it's, it's a little bit glitchy and problematic sometimes, but I mean, for having the content there and for the price, it's pretty damn good. So as long as they keep those things, then, uh, you know, it's sad to see it go, but I guess it makes sense. But I just, I, I don't know if they're going to then put money into backing a comics platform the way that Marvel yeah. has, which is a shame. Yeah, and and uh, connected to that, I think HBO Max's animation library is incredibly lackluster right now. Okay. Like their Cartoon Network tab, I think it's just like seven shows. Oh, they can do better than that. Yeah. And they're, they're like, most of them kind of make sense. You have your Adventure Time, you have your Dexter's Lab. But yeah, I, I definitely think that HBO Max could benefit from absorbing all of the animated content from DCU. Yeah. And especially getting Harley Quinn, I think would be a huge win. It's a great show. It's legit, yeah. like, really, really great. Um, yeah, so I hope it continues. But that definitely feels like a, a, 
another cut to DCU leading yeah. towards its inevitable uh, cancellation. Yeah, because they, they cut DC Daily. The last episode was last week. Yeah. And I, I don't think either of us ever watched it, but we had a, a friend of the podcast was yeah. on it. He was Hector was was one of the main hosts. Yeah. Um, oh. And so, yeah, it's it's a slow, slow burn. You can see the Vikings slowly pushing it out to sea <laughs> as they're about to light their arrows. Priming the arrows. Yes. Oh, God. Well, hopefully the good content finds a home somewhere else. And, uh, you know, hopefully HBO Max gets their shit together. Yeah. Um, okay. I also, there was an announcement this week, and I immediately thought of you when I saw it, which was that we're getting a Ready Player 2. We are getting a Ready Player 2. I'm so pumped. <laughs> I think it's... You and Ernest Klein are the two people that are very excited for Ready Player Two. <laughs> yep. Just give me, you know, just give me all the nostalgia and give me all of the like small references. Yeah. I the thing is, is I honestly cannot tell you if that was a good book or not. Like I, I remember enjoying reading it, and I, I generally tend to like to read just like fun plot-driven books um, that are a nice distraction. And I enjoyed reading it, but also I feel like there's so much like kind of backlash against it because it was just uh, a series of non sequitur references, more or less. Yeah, it was it was like a like an 80s infomercial personified. Yeah, like I feel like. To, I don't know. In my mind, to some degree, though, there's like seems to be some bleed over between The Martian and Ready Player One. I don't know if it's just because like they both came from um, writers like pre-existing careers. I don't know why in my mind those two are kind of connected, but like I feel like The Martian at least was delivering something kind of unique in it being like very grounded and technical based. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah, Ready Player One just felt like. I don't know if there's actually that much content originality in there. It's mostly just like, here's all these things, you know, and love, remember. And to be fair, I enjoyed that as I also really enjoyed the movie, which is the exact same thing. But do we really need a follow-up story? I feel like that book had a pretty nice conclusion to it. Yeah. He, he turned off the internet. That was the ending. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know where they're going to go. Obviously uh, yeah. turning it back on. I guess, I guess <laughs> they turn it back on. Uh, maybe. You know what it's going to be? Maybe a global pandemic hits and everyone has to stay at home. And so they have no choice but to go back to the Oasis. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you have the uh, the fear that a lot of like current day people have of like when you have because my idea is like, oh, they'll just go to like the next generation of entertainment. Uh, but when they're in this eternal loop, you have that fear that everyone has now of like if we just repeat what we've already seen, what are we like, what do we have to look forward to 20 years from now? Yeah. When we're just remaking all the eighties and nineties content. What's yeah, exactly. What's going to happen in in 20 years time. Are we going to get remakes of, for some reason, high school musical was the first thing that came to mind. Yes, we will. Cause we just did. And it was great. See, that's the thing. We've already hit the reboot button on that. Yes. And it was wonderful. We'll get... I, I, I consistently think about rewatching that series because it was so good. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I have heard good things. I'm just not going to watch it. That's fair. It, I don't think it's for you, and that's totally fine because it's for me. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, we'll probably, I know you'll end up listening to it. I'll probably end up reading it. Um, yeah. Just out of curiosity. But did you ever read um, Armada, which was his second book? Mm-hmm. Was it good? Yeah, it was uh, The Last Starfighter. Okay. See, yeah, it's like. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, it was like half Last Starfighter, half Ender's Game, which is the same story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, more fantastic original content. Uh, well, actually, I, I feel like this whole week was a bunch of stuff that must have gotten you very excited because there's also rumors about a Tron 3 finally happening. Yes. So the reason there were rumors about the Tron 3 is because Disney's announcement was, if there is a Tron 3, we can confirm that Daft Punk will be connected to it. Oh, my God. That's like Which an... I think is the funniest way to announce a film. That's like an LSAT level if-then question right there. Yeah. <laughs> if we do this, we will have Daft Punk. Will we do this? I don't know. But if we do, don't worry, everyone. We'll yeah. have Daft Punk. And like that's... On their on their part of getting like publicity, that's the smartest way to do it because people care way more about a new Daft Punk album than they do yeah. a Tron movie. I mean, I always think about Tron Legacy as being a two hour long Daft Punk music video, and not from, to be confused with Interstellar Five 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 Five, which is a two hour Daft Punk yes. music video. <laughs> well aware. I because look, I like that movie. I rewatched it not too long ago. It's it's fun. It's a little bit derivative. Um, but it's pretty fun. It looks gorgeous. And mm-hmm. that soundtrack from Daft Punk is incredible. Because um, I, I think most people just think about D-Rest, which was like, you know, the, oh, the so most bad, yeah. Daft Punky song of all of it and was a big part of the marketing push. But like the rest of that soundtrack is actually like really like operatic and intense and um, atmospheric and really good. Um, yeah. It, it's what got me into scores. Yeah. It's it's a really great score. <clears throat> so like, look, I... I'm totally down for this. I think there's more story to be told. I mean, it's it's interesting that we're doing this 10 years later. Um, and I think oh, as of... <laughs> the other one was 34 years later. Well, true. <laughs> but, like, I feel like the story they were setting up at the end of Tron Legacy was one that would maybe happen more immediately, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the idea that Korra is now out in the real world, like, that seemed like something that would have... Um, like sort of immediate repercussions, not like repercussions a decade later on. And I feel like sometimes the the challenge of doing these long delayed sequels is then you have to sort of justify in universe why so much time has passed. And that kind of just drags at the storytelling a little bit and basically just makes it like yet another soft reboot. Um, yeah. I hope that we get Garrett Hedlund and especially Olivia Wilde back. I mean, Olivia Wilde is I think as big as she's ever been, but would she do this? I don't know. I feel like her talents are better used as a director, given that you and I are like the biggest book smart champions <laughs> on the planet, which is saying something, considering how much people love that movie. I The room right now is that, I guess, Jared Leto's attached. I'm like, why? Great. So they're taking the worst part of Blade Runner 2049 and adapting it into Tron. So here's my fear with Tron 3, because I'm going to see it regardless. Well, obviously. obviously. I love that movie. But in the past 10 years, since the last Tron, the last Tron was December 10th, 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Disney has put out a successful live action film since then, not counting the, the live action remakes. Right. So I have yeah. a list here of the, the major live action films that have come out in the past 10 years. Okay. Including Artemis Fowl, because it was supposed to be theatric. Had that. We had Nutcracker, which didn't do well. Nope. Wrinkle in Time didn't do well. 
Tomorrowland, God, I, it, uh, it still hurts that that didn't do well. Because it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. Lone Ranger, Oz the Great and Powerful, John Carter, BFG, uh, the two Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and On Stranger Tides, Into the Woods, and Save Mr. Banks. Which I, I don't even want to. I don't even want to put Save Mr. Banks with these because that's such a different movie. And I'm and all of these are very expensive movies and didn't make any money. John Carter is notorious for being one of the biggest box office failures ever. Oz the Great and Powerful is one right. of the biggest box well, office failures ever. That's Lone my Ranger Tomorrowland. Yeah, I mean that's my point is that they know it makes money, which is why they only now invest in the remakes because none of the other ones did it. And I think there's not a good creative force in that department clearly you know it's like we, we've seen how critical it is to have um like really good in-house creatives you know through through pixar and disney animation and having people shepherd that department and really demand high creative quality mm-hmm. is critical i just maybe that person just doesn't exist unfortunately in the live yeah, and, action and there department. could be the idea that like a lot of that talent was diverted to marvel because you can yeah. kind of see like those movies ended once they bought Marvel. Yeah, and that's also part of it too. Is yeah, probably like the the real good talent and the the focus probably just shifted towards like Marvel and Star Wars more. Mm-hmm. I think Marvel than Star Wars, <laughs> which also kind of suffers from the same problem. But you know, I, I I just don't know if the I think the passion is there from the the filmmaking perspective, but from the studio, I just don't know if they they are getting the kind of backing support they need to make these really good. I mean, because they get really talented filmmakers. I mean, like Ava DuVernay is incredible, but I never bothered seeing A Wrinkle in Time because it was, I heard awful. And also it's a terrible fucking book. Hey, I love the book. You can add me. I, I actually read that book. You can, you can come at me. I don't care. I read it. and I was like, this is garbage. Like I, I hope Tron three happens and I hope it's good. I hope they get, um, Joseph Kaczynski, the director back. I thought he did a great job. Mm-hmm. That movie is just, it, it is a delight for the eyes at the end of the day. Um, so kind of on that point, if we can get a decent segue out of this, while all this stuff has been going on, Comic-Con has been starting to make their big announcements because that's yes. happening in two weeks. And this week they announced their schedule, uh, which is usually like the most exciting week for me. Like this is like a week of Christmas Eve <laughs> for me in, in past years of when I get to see what, what everything that's coming to the convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best panels they've announced so far is on Friday. There's a panel where it's just a one-on-one with Charlize Theron, not a one-on-one, an audience one-on-one with Charlize yeah. Theron called The Evolution of a Badass, an Action Hero Careers uh, Retrospective. Love it. Uh, which is great because that's also what we talked about before on the podcast about the Charlize Theron streaming service. I'd pay for it. Yeah. So we're going to try and jump in and, and pitch her that idea. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was looking through this list here. It's pretty underwhelming. Yeah, this this year, it's with it without the big hitters. It's it's definitely interesting to see how like how different the content is. On on the plus side, I will say there is a much bigger push for diversity panels, which I yeah, think is awesome. Which is good. Uh, I have two or three kind of on my. I, I made a list on the side, mm-hmm. two or three that I'm I'm really interested in listening to. Um, they always have a panel about Afro- Afrofuturism, oh, which yeah. I've never been able to get into. And so I'm excited to actually just like listen to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not a lot of studio presence in here. We, as we, we, we talked about on the side, there's really only two studios 
that I've noticed that actually are using Comic-Con this year. Uh, one being HBO Max, which is I think is very smart of them. They're using this as a way to announce all their original content coming out in the next year. To try and convince people that you sign up for their service. Yes. Uh, and I, they, they definitely need to start winning over people. I mean, if, if you scroll through the list, there's probably three HBO panels a day. Yeah. Uh, and so this is their convention to kind of mess up. Yeah, I mean, because what Marvel basically has no presence, or Disney has no presence, um, and by extension, like Marvel and Star Wars aren't really there in any sort of substantial capacity. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of HBO Max, DC and Warner Brothers seems to be holding on to everything for their own um, DC, DC events fandom. happening later on in the year. And I don't know, I mean, it's it's interesting, like, because we were talking about this beforehand, that you and I looked at this list and had very different reactions. Like, my reaction was looking at this and going, there's nothing here that I care enough to like stop and go and watch, like to to go out of my way to like log on and go and do this. Like there's nothing, no panels that I would rather watch than say like sit outside and read my book. <laughs> um, and because I'm not there, it's not like I already have like an investment in my time to do, to make good use of it. Like if you're at the, if you're at the convention, you're like, okay, I want to like get as much out of it as possible. Like these are the things I'm super excited about. Let's go check this out. Whereas now I'm like, I don't care about any of this stuff enough to do it, but you kind of had the opposite problem looking at this. Yeah. List. So when you go to Comic-Con, like especially the big, the big one, your time is so precious that you have to a hundred percent commit to everything you're going to, especially with how big the lines are. Yeah. You know, there's always a 50, 50 chance you're not even going to get in but you have to commit or you're not going to be able to do anything. And so looking at this list, I was excited because there's a bunch of panels that I've always wanted to check out over the past years. And now I actually have a chance of just like, they're all going to be online. They're all going to be through YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I assume they're going to just live there, you know, indefinitely or, you know, for a couple months. And so there's no urgency to like stop what I'm doing and look at a panel. Like I can kind of queue it up in a tab and then pause it until I have kind of 20 or 30 minutes of free time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that has always piqued my interest that I've never been able to go to. Like Cartoon Voices is a panel that's almost impossible to get into now, mm, where it's okay. just all the voice actors hanging out and just like improvising together. Um, there is one Batman panel, uh, which is a tribute to Dennis O'Neill. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh there's a Bill and Ted panel that I'm excited for. Uh, there's one, one is is so bizarre, but I'm so just offhandedly fascinated by it because I've never seen it at Comic Con before. And the panel is uh, Mexican lucha libre history, tradition, and legacy. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and I'm like, why not? Why not just check that out? I mean, I. There's like crafting world. There's a lot of like writing panels, which I think Mm -hmm. are super interesting. It's like, how do you craft a world in comics? Um, How do you go from like publishing to pitching to series? Um, The art of film and TV posters. You know, there's all these like sub panels that don't get a lot of attention that I'm pretty interested in now. Interested in now. And uh, this is giving me a very interesting year as an experiment right because there's i think two big things happening here and obviously they're related but one is that it's all happening virtually rather than in person Mm -hmm. 
for obvious reasons. The other thing too is that there is a a vacuum left behind by the absence of the major hitters, right? You know, it's oh, absolutely. You know, the the major studios aren't putting a lot of effort into this, but in particular, you know, at the end of the day, you're we're talking Disney slash Marvel and Warner Brothers slash DC aren't really here, and I think in their absence it leaves room for the possibility as to your point of other smaller projects and more niche panels to happen. And because it's all happening online, access to these things is going to be greater than possible than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, is, I mean, they, they basically just cut off hall H and barm 20 and we're yeah. left with everything in between. And I think there is something interesting there. Like in, in a weird way, despite the the unprecedented circumstances this might be the most classically comic comic con we've had in 10 years mm-hmm. probably so for that it could be interesting like there might be the possibility th- this might precipitate a dynamic shift which i think you and i have both been hoping for which is that comic con moves away from being just yet another um entertainment like you know big studio entertainment expo and moves back towards being about um comics and fandom and maybe this happens maybe as a result of this year the major studios decide that it's not worth the the cost to go to comic-con and and maybe the tone shifts i that's the optimist in me that hopes that maybe this changes that um we'll see if that actually proves true or not next year if it even happens Um, what is the there's an event that happens in la every year is it pele fest is that what i'm thinking of Oh, pele fest yeah I can see that absorbing the Hollywood aspect of Comic-Con where you just have a week in LA where you have people announcing new projects and then just, just basically being a week of, of, of Hall H. Yeah. Where they'll do it in the Dolby theater. I, I think, uh, I think what might keep the studios at, um, comic-con is you know we only look at it as from the perspective of people who attend as fans um but you know it also becomes its own form of like um like a can or a telluride or a sundance and like deals and shit happen there too you know like, i've talked to friends mm-hmm. that attend from a business perspective and the one nice thing is you know it's also an opportunity to like get on people's calendars you know, it's like if yeah. you if you work for a studio or one of the major streaming platforms and you're trying to, you know, talk to a, a, a creative, you know, either they don't live in L.A. or it all becomes an excuse for everyone to like be in town. you like, hey, like I'm in town, too. We've been trying to find time together. Like, hey, we're here. Let's go grab drinks. You know, it, it, I think it becomes like a a social business hub. Um, and that's part of the reason it's become so big and so popular everyone keeps going so that maybe that aspect is something we've overlooked and that'll keep yeah because i i don't remember if i brought this up on the podcast but I, i've brought this up to you i have a friend that works as an editor for wb and mm-hmm. he mainly does all of the cw uh like commercials and bumpers and fillers and stuff like that um when he's at comic-con he is working 14 hour days yeah the entire con because basically what he does is this is the only time every cw cast member is in the same spot yep that makes and so sense he basically does these like 20 minute um all of the like brooding over the shoulder like <laughs> interstitials you see when you're watching cw they're all filmed at comic-con at the same time yeah so they do like sense. a 20 minute with each person and it's basically you know the celebrity version of 
uh, like yearbook photos. <laughs> oh, God. I hope they write little messages to each other as well. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Uh, but for now, I think that covers news. Should we move on to some static shock here? Yeah. All right. So uh, first episode this week is Out of Africa, which sees uh, our, our good old friend Anansi the Spider return, this time in Dakota. And uh, what's happening this week is that uh, Osibo, who we remember was the, uh, the Jaguar man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, brings along with him a Nini. he has stripes. How is he a Jaguar? I know. How is he a Jaguar? I've wondered that myself. Uh, he brings along Oni the Python and Mumbaro the Hornet. Uh, they come to Dakota in pursuit of an ancient Ashanti artifact, the Golden Spider, which is the source of Anansi the Spider's powers. Uh, the Golden Spider ends up in Sharon's hands, so Static reteams with Anansi to save Sharon, recover the spider, and stop Osibo from stealing Anansi's powers. It's a, it's a pretty good setup, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So it, it goes over, I forgot that it, it went over the exact myth, but we, we talked about the myth back on the last uh, Africa episode mm-hmm. uh, where we meet Mboro and Onini. And we actually have like a great little animated segment where we get to see the origin of Anansi and his powers. Yeah, it, it kind of runs through the whole the whole myth. So the, the idea here is that, um, I, I wrote all this down as much as I possibly can, <laughs> Um, but there exists this artifact that the golden spider, which as I said, is the source of Anansi's powers. And so, um, basically what is Anansi wanted to be able to have the power of storytelling. And so in, ex- he made a deal with the, the sky King to exchange three evildoers for that power. Um, and so Anansi traded Osibo, Anini and Umbaro, and in exchange got the power of storytelling, but specifically the power of illusion. And so his powers reside inside the golden spider. Um, and it's a little bit unclear how then that works with Anansi because the, the spider has been lost for hundreds or maybe like a thousand years or something like that. Yeah. It's been lost for a thousand years. Yeah. And it was um, rediscovered by the, the same professor, um, professor Anoki, uh, who was in the last episode and he was intending to give it to Anansi so that Anansi could protect access to his own powers. So I don't know how... They don't really say how Anansi's powers are passed down from generation to generation. We just know that they are. Um, Here's my question. Yeah. Uh, why didn't he just give it to him in Africa? That also would have made a lot more sense, Why did they it? both have to fly to Dakota? <laughs> I mean... I don't... I, <laughs> I was going to try and find some sort of weird in-universe in justification for it. Uh, no, it would have made way more sense. Just give it to him there. I mean, I guess maybe he was like, oh, if I go to Dakota, then I can get away from the bad guys who want to steal it. But they just followed anyways. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it was just a fun excuse to bring these characters back. I love seeing Anansi again. Um, uh, the, uh, the other villains though are horrifying oh, to look um, at. Uh, Umboro is so unset, especially when he's he's wearing a seatbelt in the helicopter, yeah. even though he can also fly. <laughs> he's so uncomfortable to look at. It's it's weird seeing a hornet like sit down. Yeah, it's it's weird seeing him like sit down and um like just like tilt his head and have a normal conversation while being like this grotesque giant green hornet. Yeah. I mean his Who power... also static just straight up murders. What does he do to him again? He squishes him. He oh, drops right. a, like a yeah. He drops like a a, piece, a giant piece of technology on him, <laughs> like a giant server. 
I mean, Static clearly learned some lessons from his time with Terry in the future that it's fine to just murder your villains. Yeah. <laughs> There's no repercussions. That's what you learn. I mean, um, like, Amaro's powers are kind of cool because he can basically just, like, split himself off into shit little, little mini hornets and then fly around the city and... and... Let's not say mini hornets. Let's say normal-sized hornets. <laughs> Even... Even smaller hornets. I don't know. Like that part's kind of cool, but he is really disgusting looking. And then Onini is just like just disturbing. He he basically looks like a spliced character from Batman Beyond, but instead of having hands, he has snakes. Two more spiders. Two, oh, sorry, two more snakes. Two more snakes. It's just really horrifying to look at. Yeah. Like Asoba, I didn't realize how normal he was, and he needs to like understand how lucky he got being the jaguar. Yeah, he because he's basically just like a you know a, a big guy with stripes and a jaguar face. Yeah, you can get around with that. Yeah, and a, like, you a, can still pick up stuff with that. Yeah, you know you can pick up people if you wanted to. You know he's you know handsome for a cat man if you're into that sort of thing. You know if you're yeah, I mean he he can still go to furry con and just yeah. be totally fine. <laughs> But yeah, he, he's lucky because the other guys are, are, are particularly disturbing looking. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of fun because uh, Sharon gets a little bit more to do this time around Yeah, and we as have well. our first, like, I want to say our first weird interaction where she has a scene with Richie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first time, and I think maybe the only time we see the two of them together. You, like, directly interact one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, Dr. Anoki, uh, he knows that he's about to get attacked by Asabo, and so he sneaks the golden spider into like Sharon's jacket and then she gets this thing and initially she thinks that she can um create things it was like make things happen so she just thinks like oh my god I can like just do the dishes or I can like clean up this car not realizing that they're all illusions and they immediately go away um but she's so baffled by it that she the only person she knows to go to to get help is Richie which is a fun little moment because he's like um Virgil's not here yeah what do you what do you what, want what do you want here's here's my other problem with this situation is is uh the villains learn that Char- that Sharon has it and so they go and they break into Richie's place um there's a full scene that happens before Richie calls Virgil and it's like oh yeah hey uh your sister's been kidnapped yeah he takes a like, sweet no time precedence to like hey like a very important person to you is kidnapped and remember that whole secret identity thing is to make sure this doesn't happen you should probably like care about this a little more than you are you should probably get on this right away yeah like, i understand that this guy that you met once in africa is also kind of important but, like your sister is kidnapped yeah it's it's interesting too because Static kind of takes a, a, a backseat for a lot of this story. Like a lot of it does actually focus on Sharon, which is nice. Like it's good to see her get a little bit more screen time. Um, I feel like this is also the only time where she comes off as irresponsible. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, I feel like this was a, a story arc meant for static. Yeah. Like, we'll just repurpose it. Because she's also a teenager. We we forget that. Yeah. Cause she she's so responsible. You know, I mean, like, you know, we've seen episodes where she's off working at the community center, like to help kids and stuff like that. Like she always is the more responsible one. She's always the one giving Virgil shit from not being on top of this stuff. And it's weird that an episode that revolves around her, her primary character arc is about not doing the dishes. But also understandable, very relatable. I mean relatable but also maybe a little bit insulting <laughs> like we 
we, we've talked before about how this show, if it has one major flaw, is that it doesn't often do its female characters justice. And maybe in a Sharon-centric episode, they should have given her more to do than neglect her dishes. But I mean, that I, I, I don't see that as like a like a female thing. I, that, that's just like the generic teen trope. It's dishes and trash. Like you didn't take the trash out. Yeah, I know. I just, I, it, it just to me felt a little childish and superficial for a character that otherwise is not out of those things very often. And yeah. the fact that the whole episode ends on the, the button of her being of in trouble for calling her to yeah. yell at her for still not having done the dishes. Like, I did. I did like that when Static sees that he just like sneakily like smiles off the side, like yes, no dishes w- for me. What I would have loved is um, if she has like she remembers, like everything kind of clicks for her. She's like, oh no, the dishes. Yeah, and then she gets the call, and it's her dad being like, oh wow, Sharon, like you did a great job cleaning up the the kitchen, mm-hmm. and you realize that Nancy like continued the illusion for her. Oh, that would have been so nice. So she can like so she can go and clean up her mess. Go and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz it cuz otherwise it, it it focuses a lot on her and obviously she like gets kidnapped at one point and so they have to go and rescue her. Um and that's when she realizes that like all of her powers are just illusions. And I actually quite liked that scene when um like Asabo is not attacking her per se but like intimidating her and everything she throws at him to stop him doesn't work because he just walks through like the cage that she builds cuz he knows it's an illusion and she doesn't. Yeah. Which I feel like wouldn't that also undermine a Nazi's powers in general? Like if everyone knows that it's an illusion, would he be really ineffective as a crime fighter? Uh, I mean, it makes I think it, it causes enough hesitation because when there's four Nazis, you know that three of them are fake, but you also know one of them could be real. Yeah. And so you have, and you don't know which one it is. So you still have to kind of be on your guard. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess his uh, illusions are a little more sophisticated than. And you know he, he's yeah, and he's been doing this a while. He can kind of integrate the illusion into the environment a little more. Yeah. Because there's really there's no like major villainous plot here other than just to steal the powers. That's just kind of it. Right. But it, it basically works, though. Like, it's fun to see uh, Static and Anansi get to hang out again. I love that they still do the thing where he just clings to the bottom of his disc as they're flying around town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved that Anansi asked him to break into the museum, and Virgil's like, uh, I guess I can. Oh, my, my favorite interaction with the, the two of them is when they go into the hospital. And yes. he turns Virgil into a doctor. He's like, you have no idea how happy you just made my dad. Exactly. <laughs> I, I made a note about that too. I thought that was like the best line of the whole episode. Um, Cause it, it does just go to show like at the end of the day, like Virgil is still like a teenager and he's still going to make the quips and have fun with it. Like I, I didn't think this was quite as strong as static in Africa. Like I don't think it had that sort of um, like uh, positive messaging that static in Africa did the, the, the idea of like um, finally seeing yourself in another hero, but this is a pretty decent, fun follow-up to that story yes i agree i don't I mean is there anything more you would have wanted to see out of this episode um rubber band man <laughs> okay fair i mean 
I think that's just your go-to answer for most of the time, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I do appreciate the scene between her and Richie. I just feel like it's it's weird seeing the two of them react, and I feel like Sharon would have gone to someone else first. Yeah, probably. Um, and, like, if they didn't have the dishes, I could see her going to Pops. Yeah. Kind of asking these, like, heritage questions. Yeah. Actually, you raise a good point. Like, it is, it does seem strange that she wouldn't go to, to Adam slash our bad man for help, but he's... I think the idea is that what they're still dating, but he's just not there at the moment. Like, yeah, because I, I was actually thinking about this. I don't think we've seen rubber band man um, yet in the new style. I think the only time he's appeared was in the the episodes that were produced for season two. Yes. And also let's not forget that he's also a famous musician. Oh, on that's top true. Of being a superhero. Okay. That's so, true. Like they have an easy ride out of like, yeah, I was, touring the world yeah with my my four note beat <laughs> oh rubber band man the dcu's greatest hero yes uh but maybe not his best musician i think that has to go to little romeo i mean obviously yeah clearly yeah i don't know if there's much more they could have they could have done I, yeah this is it's fine it's it's a mm-hmm. fine you know follow-up story but i i think sometimes you and i expect these to be amazing episodes because we have been getting you know pretty decent streak of good ones um but, you know it's it's totally okay for them to just have okay episodes yeah but I, I don't know of the two i thought um fallen hero was better oh yeah this is a great story yeah so you ready to to move on to fallen hero you say let's do it let's get All some right. green lantern let's do the oath yes uh i mean i think that's what you're most excited about no matter what right is it you're, you're just Always. here for the oath <laughs> you got it don't worry cameron uh no this is a pretty good one so this um sees to everyone's surprise green lantern going on a crime spree and that completely shatters virgil's faith uh in one of his major heroes but we come to learn that sinestro has stolen the green lantern's lantern and is impersonating gl in order to destroy his reputation um it's a pretty good setup it has some weird logic holes in it that kind of throw me off a little bit Um, yeah like where are the other green lanterns where are the other green lanterns um also number one being isn't gl's costume a a construct yes yeah so if his power i guess his costume is ripped because he isn't putting the energy into repairing it yes and he's just naked underneath i mean hmm. <laughs> he could just let it go then i guess uh I, I don't know i mean i think they had to visually distinguish him because you know we get uh when sinestra's running around as real lantern he's in you know like crisp clean green lantern form and then when john stewart the real green lantern shows up he's got like some serious like multi-day stubble going on his costume's all ripped and torn he's wearing a trench coat he's like hopping off and on trains trying to save his battery so here actually i have a a question for you yeah as related to uh mustache gate okay Uh, (laughs) so we see when gl gets his lantern back at the end of the episode he powers himself up. The suit cleans itself up. Yeah. But he also is clean shaven. Yes. Is the clean shavenness just an illusion? And he actually is always stubbly. Oh. But using his powers to make it look like he gives himself a new chin. I I like that idea. I think he has found a way to have like as part of the the um like the power up move. There's like very minuscule razor blades that come through and perfectly shave his face. 
Because mm-hmm. as we'll recall, GL in, in both his major looks, so in his Justice League look and his JLU look, has excellent hair, both facial and otherwise. Yes. Right? It's like so in Justice League, he's got like the total like marine, like cross cropped cut, clean mm-hmm. shaven. And by the time we get to JLU, you know, he's he's a little more loose and free. He's going for the bald goatee look. Both of which are excellent. If I'm gonna pick one, I think I'm going bald it, goatee it's look. Pre-relationship, post-relationship look. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I think he's found a way to like perfectly trim his hair and facial hair with the constructs themselves. Mm-hmm. And like to the point now where he doesn't even have to like think about a razor and shave it. Like it just does it for him. Yeah. Yeah, man. The man, the man is expert, expert hair. I would say that ring, endless possibilities. Yes. And that's just how good he is. Yeah. You know, he's way past the point of like, you know, creating like a dump truck to dump rubble on people. That's why Guy Gardner's haircut is always so bad. <laughs> is he's trying to do like what, what John Stewart can do. He he wants to be at that level, but the only thing he can come up with is he can create a bowl that goes over his head. Yeah. He just trims around it. Poor guy. That's why he's always so angry. Because <laughs> he just can't get it right. Yeah, I think I think we've discovered the, the crux of all of Guy Gardner's pain is he can't make proper hair trimming constructs. Oh man. I get it. Yeah. I get, as someone who's who hasn't had a haircut in a long time. I get oh, it. Oh, I know. We're we're all struggling here. Uh no, but it's great. I, I love that they I love that they didn't do the moment where like GL is facing a perfect mirror version of himself and they have to do the whole like, no, you're the bad guy. No, you're the bad guy. I love they they skip that entirely. Yeah. I love they skip that entirely. Um, I love that uh, when Green Lantern starts out his, Sinestro starts out his his crime spree as Green Lantern, that he's clearly robbing Fort Knox and it is absolutely like the Fort Knox of Goldfinger. (laughs) It is like perfect recreation of that Fort Knox, which I was very, very happy to see. Like, I don't know. I thought I felt like Sinestro's crimes were pretty mediocre, all things considered. I mean, it was I think he had to you can't go straight from like good guy to doomsday device because then I think too many people are like, oh, he's being brainwashed. Someone's controlling him. Like yeah. you, you can't see a hero go from 100 to negative 100 that fast from here to zero yes uh okay so here's the thing sinestro i'm pretty sure has no qualms about killing people right it certainly implied that he's killed other green lanterns considering that he's got a bunch of rings on a necklace yes so wouldn't the fact they're dead he can just maybe take the finger off (laughs) okay so he's just going around chopping off fingers i feel like he wouldn't really hold back i get this is a kid's show but wouldn't it make the most sense for him to just go straight up murder somebody Again, I, I feel like that's too extreme. You have to ease them into criminality. Also, and the easiest way to do that is robbing banks. I, I normally I would agree with you, but uh, you'll remember the Green Lantern focus episode of Justice League with the Manhunters, where they frame John Stewart by having him destroy an entire planet. Yes. So their means of ruining his reputation was uh, but genocide. But reputation. That's not <laughs> earthly reputation. No one on earth give a fuck about him blowing up another planet. I mean, look, I can't disagree with the idea that uh, if Green Lantern were destroyed another planet, people on earth would not care. 
Not at all. <laughs> if anything has... Honestly, they would probably cheer. Like, <laughs> if we made a rocket that blew up, like, Uranus... Yeah. There would be cheers. I mean, for the like, jokes we're alone... we so powerful, we can do anything. Yeah. Just for the jokes alone, people would cheer, obviously. Yeah. But... Okay, fine. Actually, you know what? Hang on, Cameron. You're absolutely right. I'm looking at this from a, a, a very humanistic perspective of the, the best way to try to like ruin someone's reputation. No, is I'm to, looking at it from an American perspective. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I think, oh, you ruin someone's reputation by having them commit genocide. No, no, no. I'm not thinking like an American you are. The best way to ruin someone's reputation is to have them uh, Steal commit... gold. Like, <laughs> blocks of gold. Exactly. Commit capitalist-focused crimes, which is uh, stealing gold and stealing microchips. Yes. The only the way, American way, yeah, the only way to truly ruin someone's reputation is to have them commit crimes against the almighty economy. Because we've seen in our political system, <laughs> every other crime doesn't matter anymore. That's absolutely true. Yeah, you can get away with anything, but my Literally god, anything. Yeah, if you steal money from people who are already have it, fuck. Not even fucking Lex jail. Luthor could get away with all this shit. <laughs> <sighs> okay, back back on top, back on track. <laughs> No, but you're, you're absolutely right. Okay, fine. They, they did pick the best possible crimes for him to commit. Um, the one other thing I really liked that this episode did was it showed what happens if someone with the Green Lantern ring doesn't hold back on their powers. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, Static and Gear think that it's the real Green Lantern who's going out and committing these crimes, and they're, they're, they're horrified, and Static in particular is really heartbroken because his idol has, like, turned evil. Um, but so in, they go to fight Sinestro as Green Lantern, and... Sinestro, like, he's not straight up murdering them, but he does not pull back his punches. I, I think in particular there's that moment when he, like, you know, fires energy blast from his ring at gear and, like, just shreds gear's gear. Yeah. Well, we also know that, I mean, Sinestro, he was an alpha core, right? Wasn't he an alpha member before he turned Sinestro? I don't know if that concept exists in the DCAU. Well, yeah, but just in comic Sinestro, I guess. But, yes, he's a particularly powerful Green Lantern. Yeah. So when he gets that power again, I'm sure like, yeah, he, he's definitely on the stronger side of the lantern members. Cause, uh, is, do the different lanterns and I may regret asking this question. Do the different lanterns have different levels of power? Like is the, the green ring considered the most powerful of the lantern colors? Um, it's, I, I want to say no. I think red is probably considered the most powerful, but it, it's all based on emotion. Right. It's like the, the power is the same, right? They all create constructs. It's just which emotion drives the power, right? Uh, blue and violet are slightly. So blue's power is, is hope and they, their ring is, is kind of okay on their own, but their power comes from like aiding the green lanterns. Okay. And Violet is the same way. They take their power. For, like, they, they kind of combine emotions to make other people stronger. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. But the other ones are based off of um, feeding off emotions. So, like, yellow is fear. Red is mm -hmm. anger. Orange is greed? Yep, avarice. Ooh. Uh, yeah, so like, I guess Larflees. that... What? Larflees. Larflees? Larflees is the, is the singular orange lantern user. Oh, that's right. He's so greedy, he killed every other Orange Lantern. Isn't he like a big cat or something? Uh, it's kind of just like a ball of mush. Oh. The cat you're thinking of is the Red Lantern, um, who had the similar backstory as that dog uh, from Jurassic Park. 
what he was left behind? Yes. Really? Uh, oh, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The, the cat watched their owners die, uh, and it was like a stray cat for a while, and the Red Lantern Ring found it, and he went and murdered the people who murdered his uh, owners. Okay, yeah, that is, that is definitely not the plot of Jurassic Bark, <laughs> where Seymour, out of loyalty, keeps waiting and waiting and waiting for Fry <laughs> no, to return. No, I, I know, I know. It who, never uh, does. Hachi, is that the dog that was based off of? What? It's based off a real story. Oh, yeah. Um, I forget, because I think there's a few stories like that. Like, I know there's one in um, Edinburgh. There was a, a a dog who belonged to, I want to say, a um, like a, a police officer, like a constable or something like that. And um, when he died, the dog just, like, stayed at his grave. Yeah, like I think this... Hachi is the, uh, yeah, Hachi is the, is the Japanese story. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think there's a few of them, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, it's, Sinestro definitely goes crazy with, um, with the powers. And I, I did... He's setting it up so that Virgil and Richie will attack the real GL when he shows up. Um, but I'm just going to say, if you're Jon Stewart and you're trying to convince your colleagues that you're not a bad guy, maybe chasing them and shooting at them with your power ring is not the best way to go about that. Right. Like, you have multiple ways to apprehend and defend. Yeah. Just play defense on this one, John. Just just play defense or literally just, like, put your hands in the air or like I don't know, or even like take off the ring. Like yeah, take the ring off. There's oh, but we, he can't because we learned that he's naked underneath. But he still he still takes <laughs> he the ring off because yeah. he takes the ring off and puts <laughs> it in Virgil's jacket at one point. So he totally can. Um, look, far, I'm I'm definitely not going to complain about the idea of a naked John Stewart, but it doesn't but hold Virgil up. Virgil is underage, and then that would just be. You know he can't go visit puts can't go visit playgrounds after that. Yeah, that's true. We, the last thing we want is for uh, John Stewart to have to register as a sex offender for totally unfair reasons. Yeah. So he he could just do all kinds of things to prove like, hey, I am not a threat. Like one, do you see this stubble? Like I don't even yeah. look like the other guy. <laughs> can't grow this in in ten seconds. Yeah, and but it could have been a projection. They didn't know. That's true. Yeah, it's like it's all he had to do was just to like take off the ring or put up his hands or just like like static stop. Like I assure you, it's not me. Like what do I need to do to prove it to you? Like there's anything he could have done other than chasing and shooting at them. Yes, just saying, maybe the wrong way to go. Um, but I I think maybe the single most interesting this episode does is, is it establishes that static can charge a Green Lantern ring. Yeah, that's that's weird. If if I can get into the nerdy world again, Please. I think that I think that would show that Static is a Blue Lantern user. If if he were to gain access to a lantern, just because because that, that is what Blue Lanterns do is is they supercharge the Green Lanterns. So basically, what you're saying is that Static wouldn't be able to be a hero in his own right. He would only work as a sidekick to a Green Lantern. No, Saint Walker is a hero. I don't know who that is. Saint Walker is the leader of the. Blue Lanterns. But you just said that their main thing is just to be there to support the Green Lanterns. No, that's one of the aspects of their power. Okay. Is they give like a power boost. I am going to throw it out there that uh, I think Static could absolutely be a Green Lantern. I think so. Yeah, because Courage. Courage is the the main emotion that drives mm-hmm. Green Lanterns, right? Yeah, willpower, yeah. Willpower, yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, I'd say static. Static has courage, but does he have willpower? 
he has more willpower than Richie, certainly, who can never say no to a, a basket of fries. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, look, it makes sense in the episode to have him charge up the ring as a way to like fight back. Um, and I, I did like that that setup allowed GL to then be able to overpower Sinestro by having a non-stop power source. Although I don't know why mm-hmm. Sinestro didn't just stop to recharge ever. I wonder if it wouldn't let him. Because he doesn't have a Green Lantern ring. Oh, uh, well, okay, that's interesting. You're right. Cause he, so he steals the lantern, and he, he uses it to turn his yellow ring into a, a green ring. But I guess we never actually see him use the oath to charge up. Yeah, the, the lantern activated because John started the oath. And then Sinestro kind of came in and zapped what had been started. Oh, and so he can't kind of turn it back on now that it's off again. That's actually a good point. You're right. He may not be able to actually withdraw the lantern from the pocket dimension. He may be limited. Also, is this the same that he did to the other Green Lanterns? Uh, I don't think so. Because I don't think any other Green Lantern cares about their reputation as much as the Earth Green Lanterns. Right, do. yeah. Well, And, and John you know, is definitely a a, a proud individual. Um, I don't know. It it, it does seem odd that they would have that moment of Sinestro having all those lantern rings without ever explaining, like, it's not like he was on a crusade to take out all of them. In this episode, he's there to just ruin GL specifically. But then it makes it seem like he's actually out there just to take out all the Green Lanterns. I don't know. It muddles his motivation a little bit. It was kind of confusing. I mean, he's a a slow-acting villain. That's the time with each, each, each ring he takes is like a very uniquely crafted story he's so meticulous yes (laughs) i don't know you know it's like joker you can't like you can shoot batman sure but what's the fun in that that's true where's the joy to be had you gotta torture him yeah uh you know and also sinestro does operate off of the power of fear so it makes sense that he would go around and just intimidate people so whenever his Green Lantern ring runs out, he can just go back to being an even more powerful Yellow Lantern. I wonder if there's ever a storyline where Joker was mad at Scarecrow for getting the Yellow Ring and not him. What? So in, in the Blackest Night series, um, when they're fighting Black Hand, all, a lot of the DC characters get rings okay. to help, or temporary rings. And so Scarecrow gets the Ring of Fear, the, the Sinestro core ring. That makes sense. And not Joker. And I wonder if, if Joker is ever like envious of that. I mean, I feel like a lot of what the Joker does uses fear, utilizes fear, but it's not his main thing the way it is with Scarecrow. Like, I feel yeah. like I could see Joker. I feel like his might be more greed, actually, if you think about it. Like, because he gets angry a lot, but when he gets angry, it's usually because he's being possessive. Like, his whole thing is that he is super possessive of many things, Batman being one of them, Harley being another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if... Yeah, because if... Orange went to Lex. I also think Joker might have been dead through this he, pro- arc. he probably was. Who the fuck knows? Because Batman, Batman was missing. So the idea was the, the Yellow Lantern was supposed to go to Batman, but his body was missing, so there was no thing for the ring to go to. Oh, okay. My God. Uh, so if I remember correctly, Lex got orange. Um, Mira 
got red. Okay. Because she was angry over the death of Aquaman. Okay. Uh, Flash got blue because that was the coolest one. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonder Woman got Star Sapphire. Okay. Uh, and then who got purple? Adam? I think the Adam okay. got compassion. I mean, maybe I it should have gone to one. Virgil because, you know, one, he's a very compassionate person. And two, uh, he loves purple. He does. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. Any other thoughts on this? Uh, let me see. Oh, the the Captain du- Captain Dwayne's Dakota ring. Oh, yeah, that was fun. The I switcheroo. appreciate that because they they hung on. There was like a reason they kept the cereal box in frame for so long. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, and I couldn't, and I, I don't know if that was like the reasoning for them to bring out the Dakota ring later. Uh-huh. Uh But I, I was curious about the origins of Dakota rings. Oh my god! It's been a slow, it's been a slow weekend. No kidding. We don't have to go into it, but it was, it's, it's not as interesting as you would think. <laughs> it's basically just been the Orville company trying to make this product a thing since the '30s. And people are just like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> what a fascinating history of the Dakota ring. Yes. It wasn't a ring until the 60s, though. It oh, was a well, Dakota hey. disc. That's when it and got real crazy. Like, it'd be like a pin. Yeah. On, you'd get a pin, and then on the back, it'd be the Dakota. No, I've uh, seen a Christmas story. With, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It started with Captain Midnight in the 50s. Uh, and there, there was someone else that had it in the 30s. Because 1935 was the first Dakota ring. The oh, Dakota okay. disc. Well, the one in, um, isn't the one in Christmas Story, Little Orphan Annie? Yes, that, that's the first one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was, the, that was the first one. Because, you know, Little Orphan Annie needed a decoder ring to hide her messages from the orphanage. I don't know. Yeah. I don't exactly. know how Annie works. She sings. That's it. She's got animal crackers in her soup. <laughs> yes. You know how it goes. That's all her messages are. Every yeah. message you decode it just says tomorrow. Like, come on, can we come up with something more creative at this point? Uh, all right, well, should we move on at this point? Let's do it. All right, so we got a, a few notes from friends here. Um, actually, speaking of Green Lantern, uh, we got a, a message from <gasps> the guys boy. over at uh, the Watchtower database on Twitter, and they um, they said that because we were asking about, hey, what other heroes may have existed before Soul Power. So the response was, uh, theoretically, I think there are a few heroes before Soul Power. Uh, they reference the Thanagarians in Egypt and Spy Smasher in World War II. Um, but, now that you mentioned it, Soul Power being around the 60s and having a comic book, there's no way that Jon Stewart wasn't inspired by him. Because as we may recall, uh, Jon Stewart was a big comic book geek. And, you know, he um, ended up becoming Green Lantern in the late 80s, early 90s. So there's totally no way that he would have missed out on, you know, like the one other like major black superhero, especially if he was also a comic hero, mm-hmm. which that idea, even if it's not explored is awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. The, and I think that talks to what we were speaking about, which is like that idea of like the legacy of heroes. Um, and even the fact that like, you know, GL was around before people for a long time, other heroes for a long time too. But yeah, that's uh, that's no headcanon for me that soul power came first and then he inspired Green Lantern, which I think is awesome. So, uh, and then I actually have to do a correction moment. <gasps> Chris's correction corner. It's Chris's correction corner, uh, a.k.a. Lordy's Lies. Um, oh, that's good. That's better. <laughs> uh, 
I said we had not yet had an episode with Akira Maria. I was wrong. Yeah, I thought we did. Uh, she was in the bad stretch. Yes. So thank you, James, for pointing it out and uh, forcing me to acknowledge my own mistakes. So uh, I'll be twisted in your lies, Gordy. <laughs> out there spreading lies everywhere i go uh and then the uh the last one was a message from ashley clark which was uh really emphatically telling me not to watch the joel schumacher phantom of the opera (laughs) uh and she even put a a link out there to a video essay breaking down like why that movie is terrible but she said that uh for anyone who's interested in watching a version of phantom the opera they should check out the royal albert hall uh performance instead so a little recommendation there for a place to go check that out so all right uh but yeah that's it just for some notes from friends so uh in terms of back plugs cameron what do you got for us this week i i don't have a lot of new stuff i've been watching this week i i fell back into a rabbit hole i told myself i wouldn't go back to video games uh, and i no 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 not that not that addiction okay your other addiction. my other addiction anime oh okay uh there's a series that i love called hunter x hunter Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been on hiatus. It was never canceled, but it's been on hiatus for like eight years now. Okay. The creator uh, has this crazy mentality of not wanting to overwork his his uh, animators and manga artists. Oh, how dare so he? He'll, like he'll work for like three months and then take like a three year break. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I decided to start watching Hunter X Hunter again, and it is a fantastic series. I highly recommend it for people who like want a different kind of superhero story. Uh, I really enjoy it. It's um, a world where if you want to basically do anything cool, you have to get a hunter's license, okay, which kind of grants you access to uh, resources, jobs, kind of the internet in general. So to Uh, function as a normal human being, you have to have a hunter's license basically. Yeah. Okay. And, and like the, the 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 financial aspect of that is is a whole other kind of monstrosity. But you follow this kid named Gone, mm-hmm. who is becoming a hunter because his dad abandoned him as a kid to be a hunter. Okay. And the story he got out of that is hunters must be so cool because for a dad to abandon his kid <laughs> <laughs> it must be a pretty cool job. Oh my god. <laughs> that is really dark. Uh, yeah, the, the characters are like very unique kind of tropes. So you have him, his best friend is a character named Kalua, the like the drink. Yeah. Uh, who comes from a family of elite assassins. Okay. And so it's him trying to like find a way to be normal while growing up being just this. He's a 12 year old who's murdered like hundreds and hundreds of people already. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so it's like him trying to find a normal life out of that. Um, uh, it's the two of them just kind of like taking on the world together. Okay. And they meet a, a lot of people with super unique powers. They have a really interesting magic system where you can get more powerful if you make um, certain restrictions to your power. When the, no, that's not the right word. Um, where you have to like hit... Uh, what's the fucking word I'm thinking of? A button. Um, a threshold. No, Kind of. It's it's when you... Uh, I'll, I'll just stick with restriction. Okay. It's like there's one character named Karapika 
who is not very strong, but he, he, his life goal is to get revenge on these 12 people. And so he creates this ultimate power. And the reason it's so strong is he can only use the power on these 12 people. Besides oh. that, he had, he's basically powerless. Okay, so like if, if you create... Um, conditions, that's the word. Condi- he has, okay. He, if, yeah. Okay. I was and, just... if, and the conditions powered by, if he uses this power on anyone else, it will kill him immediately. Oh, okay. That, oh, that is clever. Wait, wait, yeah. Okay, wait, wait. So it is a world, it is a universe where magic exists. Yes, it's called Nin. Okay, but also uh, has this weird restriction on people's lives they must be a hunter to do anything else yes wait so but if a hunter a hunter's license is basically like going to college okay so you can still do a lot of stuff without it but if you want to do like anything cool <laughs> like abandon you your family license. like um, abandon your family wait so in other words this is a universe where a kid essentially decided that going to college must be the coolest thing ever because that it was so cool as to make his dad leave him yes okay and then accessing the power of nin is basically going to grad school this to me this sounds a little hat on a hat it is okay absolutely is okay but i mean it's it's anime so there's got to be some kind of magic i guess it's kind of true i feel like anime is a a a medium by which you kind of can have like those two like major universe defining things yeah happening simultaneously i mean also i say that and i am also a huge fan of star wars which is all about space travel but also there's like wizards so who who am i to begrudge weird genre clashing uh no it's it's you kind of have to get into it a little bit to start seeing the the crazy powers how far is into it there are, oh God, how many episodes are there? Probably 200 episodes of the show. Okay, and how many do you have to get in before you start seeing the cool stuff? Uh, like 50. Okay, all right. Uh, there's another character that you wouldn't like named Hisoka. Why would I not like him? Uh, he's a cla- guy. Okay. He's a uh, Gambit-esque, where he kind of uses playing cards as his thing. Mm-hmm. They can explode, and he can use them to like, cut people's heads off nice um but he's so addicted to fighting powerful people that it's the only way he can be turned on (laughs) so he has this fascination of finding powerful people but he can't fight them immediately because he's so excited (laughs) he's like calm himself down first he's so hardy that he can't focus enough to actually fight them yeah honestly i kind of love that it's very specific the, the only the only weird part is that's why he doesn't kill gone is he sees the potential in him so anytime he sees this 12-year-old child, oh, God. that's when people are like, oh, right, Hisoka does have some things he needs to work through. Here, here's what he has to do. He has to come across an all-powerful therapist. Yes. <laughs> and then maybe he'll find the focus enough to solve his problem. Mm-hmm. But, but I will say with like Hunter x Hunter and uh, One Piece, if you want like unique superpowers Mm -hmm. japan is so much better yeah at coming up with like plausible weird yeah compared to the stuff you see in like doom patrol which is just like weird for the sake of weird (sighs) do love that though and and then where where is hunter x hunter what's it on uh the first four seasons are on netflix Netflix. okay cool Mm -hmm. 
all right, you know, we've got to include these things. People can check it out for themselves. They, yeah. they can also go watch 50 episodes before they're satisfied. I mean, you, you will be satisfied through the whole thing because it is just like genuine fun storytelling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's usually considered one of the top animes ever, usually behind like Full Metal Alchemist and mm-hmm. uh, Death Note, but it's, it's like people love this show. Okay. All right. I, I feel like you've probably mentioned it before. It sounds vaguely familiar, but no, it sounds mm-hmm. pretty cool. Wait, so you had seen it before? Or this is your first time watching it? Oh, yeah. I've, I've watched it uh, once before. Okay. And I'm like, it's time to time for a rewatch. I love that you have time to rewatch 200 episode c- series. <laughs> I don't. I don't have time. That's the problem. My sleep schedule is so destroyed. Oh, Cameron. It's fine. I'm still moving. Yeah, make it happen. What, what about you? What have you been watching, listening, reading? Um, kind of the same. I'm still burning through Avatar. Um, so we, proud of you. We, yeah. we just watched one of my favorite episodes. Yes, yes. We just watched uh, the Tales of Bossing Say together, which was uh, absolutely beautiful episode. Very, very uh, mm-hmm. heartwarming. Um, no, so still powering through on that, um, which has been pretty good. Uh, so actually, this week I have to plug a, a couple articles that I came across that they're relatively short. Oh um but they were posted up on twitter and i I forget by who it may have even been by dc universe itself um but one is black and proud the legacy of milestone comics by donovan morgan grant which is up on the dc universe website um and it's a it's a relatively short article but it kind of highlights some of the the things that milestone really um like some issues and and things that milestone tackled that other places weren't willing to do um, mm-hmm. you know, including like LGBT representation, like power, responsibility, you know, vengeance, respect, like it had a really unique take on how it approached these things and did it from a more kind of grounded, realistic, uh, perspective. And there's actually also a, uh, a DC daily clip link in there where, uh, it's an interview with Dennis Cohen, who was one of the creatives of the show and, you know, uh, of the comic itself. And he talks about how the idea for the big bang was actually based in a real, thing that happened um you know this idea oh, that basically there was a um you know uh, like an activist group of sorts that was forming in philadelphia and uh the police's response was to basically just like bomb the area where they lived so that was like the real life um inspiration for the big bang and obviously dennis is a much better job explaining it than i just did now but it's, it's well worth watching that that short little clip um just get his kind of the origins of some of the stuff, which is really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And the last one was another article on DC Universe, and it was a DC Pride, The Rise and Fall of Comic Book Queer Coding by Esper Gwynn. Quinn, excuse me. And so it just talks about how, basically due to the, uh, the Comics Code Authority, that a lot of characters had to be queer-coded rather than actually being, like, outwardly gay. And mm-hmm. it kind of acknowledges the, the times where that was helpful and the times where it was problematic that a lot of villains end up being heavily queer-coded. Um, and it's interesting. It's just kind of, you know, it was cool to see some some explorations of kind of the the power of storytelling um, and some of the complexities of comics. So nice. Yeah. Well, well, those, worth, yeah, those are super fascinating. Yeah. Well worth checking out. So uh, as always, they'll be down in the show notes. But I think that does it for us this week. We made it. Got through some more static shock. Hey, Chris, proud of you. Thank, thank you. That's all I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. That's all I really wanted. I don't say it enough, <laughs> but we did it. I'm going to go cry now. Uh, but yeah, so we'll be back next week with a uh, army of darkness and no man is an Island, uh, which, Ooh, receives the return of Edwin Alva. Yes. And I think that's another one that Butch Hartman stole, <laughs> copied, used. <laughs> 
was inspired by. Was inspired by. But <laughs> I mean, I love you so much. Yes. Lest, lest we be accused of slander, he was heavily inspired heavily by. Heavily inspired by. <laughs> oh bless you butch hartman uh but yeah we're back next week with uh some more static shock Uh, until then if you have suggestions for things we should check out or thoughts on these episodes you can find us at tim talk pod on facebook twitter instagram and gmail and you can find me at lordifer on twitter and instagram yeah and you can find my art at cameron.dexter and if you want to see my face you can find that at camdexter underscore adventures uh boom 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 well that does it this week thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you next week yeah, see you next week. Bye. Superhero Static Shock. Woo woo. Superhero Static Shock. Woo woo.